Hi everyone! Welcome back to Ew, That's Creepy. Today, Jackie will be telling the second story about an evil woman. Heavy trigger warnings, as this story will discuss child abductions, child assault, murder, and pedophilia. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy. It is Jackie telling the story today, and I am telling the second story of our evil women theme. Melissa's here. I'm listening. (laughs) I'll be giving my little comments. And let me just say, I'm going to give a trigger warning for sure for this episode. This story is by far one of the worst stories I've ever heard, as in, it involves a lot of, um, child sexual abuse and child abuse and murder, and it's very, very horrific. So, like, if you are sensitive in any way, or you just don't want to hear a really horrific story, then don't. But I also felt like it is important to tell this story because... The person who did it is in prison and will probably be up for parole in some years, so it's important, you know, like, these, so these people don't get out. Great. Honestly, so. And I don't know anything about this story, so I'm not excited to hear it because I, if you're warning me it's going to be horrific, it's going to be unfathomable, but... I'm excited to hear a story I've never heard of, but I know I'll be taking that fact shortly, so... Yeah, let's... It's gonna... It might be a long one, too, so let's just... Let's just just make me hate myself. Go ahead. Okay, I will. And I'm just gonna say, (laughs) as we sip our Diet Cokes before we get into this horrible story, that I'm getting all my information from um, the Anne Rule book, Lying in Wait. Anne Rule is a queen. If you've never read her and you love true crime, what are you doing? Like, what? And rule. Be a guest on our podcast, girl. You rock, lady. She does. And this um is also on Diabolical, the show, but I don't know the episode or on, the season. I'm sorry. On ID. Yeah, on the um ID channel in the show Diabolical. The uh, murderer's name is Jackie Sue Shoot or Shut. <gasps> S-C-H-U-T is last name. And the victims in this story are Geneva, and I'm sorry, Geneva Clemens and Cheryl Jones are the victims in the story. And like Melissa's, the story happens in the 1980s. Ooh, I didn't even, we didn't even do that on purpose. I know, right? Did you pick a Jackie story on purpose, Jackie? Uh, No, I didn't. This one's just her, like, this one is just so, so evil. Truly, I think the most evil woman I might have ever heard. (sighs) Great. So... Geneva Clemens lived in Alabama. It was January 21st, 1980, and she had an infant son who was 16 days old named James and a five-year-old daughter named Tracy. Tracy 
Because Anne Rule, like, you know, interviews all the surviving people in her book. So these are, like, things that the survivors actually said to Anne Rule. So Tracy remembered her mom um, being a good mom, pushing her on the swing, always being up for games, said she loved to, like, get down in the dirt and make a mess. She said that she had the best laugh, and she can still remember her mom's laugh to this day, even though it was, like, years ago, which is tragic. That breaks my heart more than anything when someone says I can still remember their laugh. I'm tearing up now. Just keep going. Okay, I'm sorry. But... She had brown eyes and long black hair that went to her waist. They said she was striking. Geneva was born in 1953. Um, She was one of ten kids, so lots of kids. She grew up in Alabama. Geneva met her husband, Larry, and he said it was love at first sight when they met, and it wasn't long until they were together, and they had their first child, Tracy, in December of 1974. Um, the Clemens family was very happy. They didn't have a lot of money. They couldn't really afford a huge house or anything, but they found a cozy little place in the little district of Athens, Alabama, that was right next to, right next door to Larry's aunt and uncle's house so that the family was close by. Cute. So this night, once again, it was January of, January 21st of 1980, The baby was with them, and Tracy and her mother were getting ready for, she says, their favorite ritual, which was every night they would get on the couch and watch Little House on the Prairie. Aww. And so, Geneva had a soda, and it's like they had a bag of Funyuns. (gasps) I love Funyuns. And I was going to say, I know Melissa loves some Funyuns. So, they had just, like, opened their snacks and stuff, and were right about to watch the show when they heard a knock at the door. And Tracy recalled that it was, she said, the lady from the contest again. So, Geneva had, or Tracy said, had said that her mother, Geneva, had met someone earlier that day at the supermarket. And when she was grocery shopping with the baby in her arms, a person approached her who said her name was Jackie and said that she was a magazine, magazine photographer and said that James should enter a beautiful baby contest. She said that if James won and she took a photo and it was chosen for an ad, that Geneva would get $500. And, like, that was a lot of money. Um, I guess. I mean, not a whole lot, but they were struggling for money. So, they were like, yeah. So, they were struggling a bit financially and Geneva gave Jackie her address and just continued shopping. So... At this point in the day, this was the third time that the woman had actually approached Geneva. Um, It said earlier in the day that Geneva had some people over and the woman had knocked on the door. But when uh, she saw that there were people in Geneva's house, she said that she would come back. And so she was just like, okay. Yeah, I don't know. But it's Geneva, like, talked to her mom a lot and her family and it said that she told them that she was excited about the contest, but she hadn't had a chance to talk to her husband. And that is what she told the woman when she came back at night. So she suggested that Jackie come back when her husband was home. But Jackie said that since she had the camera right there, they should just go out right now for a photo shoot. Uh. And Geneva was like tired and was like, it's at nighttime. I have a 16 day 
old baby. I don't really want to go out with you. It's like 8 p.m. I would have been like, do you see the Funyuns and the Coke in my hand? Girl. Little House in the Prairie just started. I know. I know. But they said Geneva was really nice and that just like she wasn't the type. (sighs) So the lady suggested that they just all step outside and follow her to her car so that they could just take the picture. Um... They did say that the lady had her own daughter with her. She had a small daughter. What? So it kind of made her seem a little more trustworthy, even though she was a stranger and they didn't think that she was threatening. That's weird. So the woman, like, didn't even wait for their answer, though. She brushed by Geneva and stepped into the house and picked up the baby and handed it to her daughter and bent down and whispered something in her ear. They went outside and there was a Chevy Malibu station wagon that was backed into their driveway and they went towards the car and Jackie explained that she wanted Geneva and her daughter to pose for a picture before they took one of like just Geneva and James. So Geneva and Tracy stood side by side um, right next to a tree in the driveway and posed for the camera. When the woman raised her hand and she was holding something and Tracy thought it was a camera. However, the woman was holding a gun and she pulled out a gun and shot Geneva. <gasps> she shot Geneva with a 38 point caliber pistol oh. twice, once in the abdomen and once near her shoulder, and the force of the bullet dislodged in her breast. And she, like, was slumped back against a tree and then slid to the ground. Jesus. Confused, obviously, since Tracy's five years old, she knelt down beside her mom and was, like, crying and was asking what's wrong. Geneva looked up at her and, like, Tracy could basically tell that she was dying. And Geneva just, like, gurgled for her to run. So Tracy didn't hesitate and she just, like, bolted and ran out into the yard. And it was dark at this point. But Tracy said even though she was five years old, she remembers the whole thing like it was yesterday. That makes me so sad. I could not even imagine. The story's rough. So, Tracy heard the the sound of the tires squealing as she, like, ran away. And she ran to the, her dad's aunt and uncle's house who, you know, lived right next to your, next door, not next year. And they were horrified, went next door, saw the mother, and called the police. So... As sad as it was, there was nothing that they could do to save Geneva, and she passed away. Did they? Wait, I'm sorry, maybe because I think I blacked out for a second because I was so upset. <laughs> did they take the, her baby? James? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I um did say I did not say that, but yes, they were. Jackie gave the baby to her daughter when she shot Geneva, <gasps> so they got in the car and they drove away with James, the baby. However, speaking of James, it was a little before 10 p.m. that night when Clyde Reeves drove along Reeves Road. So, this is a bit later. The farmer pulled into his driveway and his headlights were swept, like, onto the field. And for a second, he thought he saw something that was caught in the beams of his light and he thought it was just a cat. It said that he, like, wanted to go check it out, so he went inside and got a flashlight and went out. Me seeing a cat. In oh the my god, I was like literally same. I would do the same thing. <laughs> he said he immediately saw two tiny hands. He rushed back into the house and told his wife to call the police. He had actually found baby James. The infant was wearing a onesie and covered with a thin, tiny blanket. 
and he was barely alive. He was rushed to the hospital, gravely ill from his exposure to the cold, and he developed double pneumonia. And that was that same night he was found. He had been left outside in near freezing temperatures for almost two hours. Oh, my God. They said if it had been another half hour, he would have probably passed away, and it was a miracle that they had found him. Larry Clemens, the father, says he remembers his son had turned black and blue, and he had to be hospitalized for four weeks. Oh, my God. Their daughter said that she felt so helpless when she saw her dad crying. She said that she was just trying to do her best to make him smile, which is so sad. I couldn't even imagine being a child and going through this trauma, but I'm just going to let you keep going because I know it's just never going to get better as the story goes on. Yeah, and I'm just going to keep going because truly this story has so much going on, like, So, one month after the Athens shooting on Wednesday, February 20th, 1980, which is me and Melissa's birthday, not 1980, though, a woman named, in the book, they call her Lori Vaughn because she was age 15, but I don't think that's her real name, and I don't think the child's real name is Tina, but I'm just going to refer to them as that because it was in the book, so. Okay. She was age 15, and she gave birth to a baby at the University Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Just hours after her baby was born, the new mother noticed that a chunky young woman was hanging around the maternity ward. She said she was, like, really sore and getting to know her newborn baby when she saw that the stranger woman was entering her room. She wasn't really alarmed or anything because the woman was smiling and really friendly and just telling her how much she admired babies. And she confided in the teen that she was depressed because she had recently given birth to a baby that had died. And then it made her very sad. Oh, no. Is she going to ask to hold the baby? Well, I don't know. Ugh. So, she's just, like, talking to her whatever that night. And the next morning, around 10.30, she said that the stranger showed up again. But by this time, she was a little more comfortable with her. And so, she wasn't really worried when the woman picked up her baby and said that she was going to take her to the nursery so that the doctor could check the umbilical cord. Which what? She, which she assured her was part of the procedure and that the baby cannot be released from the hospital until the doctor checked her cord. Who are you, chunky little woman? Yeah, like, in this part, I mean, this girl's 15, having a baby, so I'm sure you, like, don't... Don't know what's normal, but... But it's still just, like, why? That's so odd. The audacity of this woman to do what she's doing. Literally the audacity. So, it's, like, minutes pass by, and the woman knows her daughter's not coming back, so she's like, uh, what the heck? She asked the nurse about her daughter's whereabouts, and the nurses were alarmed because they're like, the doctor doesn't do, like, doesn't do that. Examine an umbilical cord? Yeah, like, so they realized that, obviously, the baby was sadly abducted, and they called the police. And Lori did her best to give an accurate description of the stranger to her, uh, to the police, she said that the kidnapper was heavy set, about 160 pounds, and that her hair was brown. She had on tennis shoes, jeans, a red shirt, and a blue jacket. So the FBI was obviously called in because this is like a big crime. And they were asking the staff what of it. One of the hospital employees said that he remembered, or they, I actually don't know if it was a he or she, but they remembered a woman who matched the description and they had seen her use a telephone. 
So the FBI checked the phone records and were able to determine that the suspect had made a call to a woman named Rita Warner. Again, in the book, that's her name. I don't know what her real name is, but it probably doesn't really matter that much. What's your story, Rita? Who was calling you? They're probably protecting these people for anonymity's sake, but... Yeah, people would probably tear Rita to shreds if they knew she spoke to this baby-snatching woman. I know, right? So, I understand, Andrew. I understand. So, they went to question her, obviously, and when they asked her who had, like, phoned her at the time, she said that it was her daughter, whose name was Bonnie Stevens, and that they hadn't talked in, like, years and stuff, but she gave the FBI Bonnie's address at her home in Louisiana. Somehow, I couldn't exactly find how this happened, but the baby was returned to the hospital at around 10 p.m., 11 and a half hours after it had been taken. What is going on? I have no idea. The doctor pronounced that the baby was fine and healthy. So, the alleged kidnapper was 22 years old, the mother of two, and she had recently been treated at the Tallulah Mental Health Clinic. Who is this? This Bonnie? Yeah, this Bonnie person. Um... She was, like, really surprised when she was caught with, when she was charged with kidnapping and all this stuff. And police were, like, kind of noticing, though, that it was the second time in four weeks that a chubby little brown-haired woman had stolen a baby. Did the victim confirm that, yeah? Just wait. Okay. (laughs) That's the next thing I'm going to say. So, after facing charges for kidnapping the daughter, um, Bonnie was held for questioning in the Alabama case. And the Athens detectives thought that this was the suspect. However, Geneva's sister, Kathy, who had seen the person who had shot Geneva earlier when she stopped by and, you know, she was like, oh, yeah. I'll come back. Yeah. She was like, this is not the woman for sure. She said that Bonnie Siemens was definitely not the woman. So huh. I'm not exactly sure Bonnie Stevens' relationship to the real kidnapper, I couldn't actually, like, find that out, tease that whole part out in the book, but regardless, she was not the woman. Maybe someone just got it her might have just been a mix and up. thought yeah. she was the one who made a call, and all she just did, made a call. Exactly. All they did was check the phone records, so I'm not sure, but regardless, she didn't even match what the real woman looked like, so they oh. basically knew it wasn't her. That sucks for Bonnie. Mm-hmm. She got wrapped up in this for nothing, but who is this real woman? Okay, so on to Cheryl Jones, victim number two. Murder victim number two. Oh, God. Baby number three. Yeah. So um, she was born in October 1959. She grew up in New York, was one of six kids. Cheryl, that's her name? Yes. Okay, sorry. Cheryl met her husband, Dennis, and when they were still in high school, and they got married in 1977. He decided on a career in the Navy, and when Cheryl graduated, they moved to Louisiana, where he was stationed. On Christmas Day in 1979, Cheryl gave birth to her daughter, Amanda Ray Jones. They wanted to have more kids with the big house and all that stuff, but for now, you know, Cheryl was just, like, getting used to being a new mother in her apartment on the Navy base, Mm -hmm. and having fun with her daughter and cooking for her husband, all the things. Aww. She was out shopping one day when a stranger complimented her baby, and Cheryl said, like, she felt really proud. 
she said that the stranger said that Amanda, her daughter, was adorable. And she was like, I know, girl. The woman introduced herself as Sally, and she was short and stout. And she repeatedly was just saying, like, how cute Amanda was. I don't like Sally already. Suspicious-ass Sally. Right. So it was March 6, 1980. Cheryl was 20 years old at this point. And it was in New Orleans, Louisiana. So she met Sally, and there was no reason to believe that, like, Sally was anything wrong with her. She was just, like, a woman who said that she was on a photography assignment And I think she fed Cheryl the same tale of a beautiful baby contest, yada, yada, yada. So Sally took a couple photos of Amanda in the parking lot of the little store they were at. And she told Cheryl that she thought that there was a really good chance that the baby could win the beautiful baby contest because she was so cute. And if she would win, Sally said that they would show up at her place early in the morning and, like, take her somewhere to collect her prize. So, the next morning, it was, like, 7 o'clock in the morning, and Sally showed up at Cheryl's door and said she had good news and bad news. The bad news was that Amanda hadn't won first place, but that she did win a shopping spree in Houston and that they were there to take her there. Cheryl said that she was, like, kind of nervous, but because Sally was a middle-aged, frumpy old woman, she was just like, um, okay, And I think she also, like, kind of wanted the prize, so she packed up a diaper bag, and when she was walking out to get in the car, she was saw that there was a small man who was short and skinny who was the driver, and Sally said that that was her husband. So, it was about a five-hour drive to Houston, so that's a long drive with people you don't know. So, what happened in that drive is not exactly sure, but... Investigators are pretty sure that at some point Cheryl got pretty uncomfortable and probably realized that something was up and that this, like, was not okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, at some point, probably they got to a swanky little hotel in Houston, but on the way, the couple had already drugged Cheryl, I think, by putting something in a drink and making her drink it. Oh, no. So, they go to the hotel And once they're in the room, Sally forces Cheryl to write a suicide note that says some horrific things about Cheryl wanting to leave her husband, running (sighs) off with another man, and that this other man had, like, abandoned her, so now she just wanted to kill herself, basically. And it said, I have nothing to live for. And so Sally gave um, some drugs in a soda and forced Cheryl to drink it until she overdosed. I hate this woman. I do too. Later that day, a taxi driver in New Orleans rolled up to the hotel to pick up a passenger who had called for a ride. A woman walked out to the car and set a baby down in the front seat and she handed the driver an address and $20 and said, take this baby to the father who was in the Navy. What is, why are they doing this? This makes no no, sense. I really, well, I do know, and I'll tell you later. The taxi driver told the woman that he couldn't take a baby by itself, like she would have to come along. So the woman said, okay, I just have to go get my luggage, and went back inside and obviously never came out. So the taxi driver went inside and was trying to ask the whereabouts of the woman, but she was long gone, and they said that she didn't stay at the hotel. She had just, like, walked in and basically walked out. 
So the taxi driver decided to just go take the baby to the address because he felt he had no choice. And he did take the baby Amanda to Cheryl's father at his naval base. The next day, a maid found Cheryl's body dead in the Houston hotel room. The medical examiner noted that Cheryl's left wrist was cut and that she had died from an overdose of a type of barbiturate. So he ruled the death a suicide, but homicide detectives Paul Motard and Gil Schultz did not believe it. They've, like, done a lot of work in this case. They did not believe it, and neither did Cheryl's family. However, it would be five years before the manner of the death was changed to murder. Oh, good for the detectives. So, let me cut to the evil woman behind this all, because her story is going to unfold in a way that you wouldn't expect. I need to know. There needs to, there's no good reason for doing this, but You're gonna I hear need, it. It's an evil, it's pretty evil. Great. So, Jackie Sue Shutt was born in the 1950s, one of many siblings. However, she was an unexpected baby. All of her siblings were adults, so her parents weren't pretty happy about having her. Um, there's a lot of background on her in the Anne Rule book, but I just don't really care, to be honest, and you won't either after you hear what she has done. Um, they did say she was bossy as a child. She babysat neighborhood kids, and the um, two girls that she babysat told Jackie's mom that Jackie had ordered them around and treated them like they were her servants and <laughs> ate their food, even though Jackie's family had more money than them. So, obviously, just a little demon, even as a kid. In March of 1971, however, Jackie got married in Yakima, Washington. The groom was 17 and she was 18 and they had a son. Um, In the book, his name is Buddy. I'm not sure of what his name now is. I don't know if he wants to be known. Probably not. Yeah. But don't blame um, him. Jackie divorced him. A friend who talked to Ann Rule for the book said she kind of just went in and out of guys, her relatives say the same. She was just like with on and on with different guys. She met Harold Lee shoot or shut her next husband in the early 1970s. At one point, he just went by Lee. He was eight years older than her. Um, they divorced at some point, but it is not sure like exactly when or even why. Okay, her friend remembers <laughs> Jackie as being a plump woman with a bad perm who didn't care much about her appearance, didn't wear makeup, and her upper lip needed waxing really bad, and she had a mustache, but she said that they she didn't care. Damn, that, this is not your friend. I know, right? They said her clothing was of good quality, even though she didn't have a lot of money. She dressed casual, but it was, like, high-quality stuff. Her daughter, Tammy, was... Um, told she was born in 1973 to Jackie's first husband, although Tammy doesn't believe that because Tammy says that she looks nothing like the family. And the friend who actually talked to Ann Rule said that once that she noted to Jackie that none of her kids really did look like her. <gasps> so... Oh, no. The friend remembers the house being pretty... It was fine, but, like... Still kind of gross. She said that Jackie liked to play bingo. She liked to go out and party. 
Even though when she was in her 30s, she liked to hang out with teens and invited them to the house and gave them oh. alcohol. She so is they said, so strange. Yeah. And she said it seemed sometimes that Tammy seemed like the more mature one. Tammy was very protective of her younger sister, too, whose name I'm not entirely sure of what it was. Um, one day the friend found herself alone in the kitchen with Tammy. Tammy looked at her and said, I don't like my mom. Which is so sad because she was a child. That just broke my heart. Yeah. So, at one point, Jackie met a man named Bernard Oldham when she was still married to Lee Shutt. He was a dozen years older than them, but Jackie and Bernard had some stuff in common. His nickname's Bernie, so I'll just call him that. Um, they did not care about the kids at all. And as disgusting as this is, they developed this horrific scheme of making a child pedophile ring and fronting it with a car business. Bernie got a large metal shipping container and put it behind the dealership and filled it with a trailer and mattresses and would have dirty, old, disgusting pedophile men watch Tammy and her sister and other young children dance for the guys. How does something like this even come into existence? I don't even want to know, actually. Yeah, and honestly, you guys, they're... The book goes into horrific detail of what was done to these children, but I really do not want to talk about it because they're children. If you want to read it, read the Anne Rule book. I don't feel comfortable talking about it, especially when Tammy is living her life now. So, obviously the children were sexually abused. That's all you need to know. Jackie was also forcing her daughters to do this and taking pictures of it to also sell to these pedophiles. Jackie also often belittled Tammy and told her that she was fat and ugly and all sorts of horrible things. You just feel that way about yourself, you evil, disgusting woman, and don't make your children feel that way. Yeah, and also let me just say that this is going on for a long time. I'm just giving you guys all the overview of it because... I am all into talking about details of horrific crimes, so when it's kids, I'm going to spare them all the details. Especially someone who's trying to live their life. She does not necessarily want people talking about these horrific details. Yeah, so so read the book if you want to know them. I'm glad that that's how you're telling it. Thank you. So, Bernie had also met, like, some teens, and he would hang out with them and make money. One of these teens was interviewed by Ann Rule, and she says that her friend actually was how she began to know Bernie. She said she quickly learned that Bernie was paying her friend a hundred bucks for bringing girls to the motel and she was disgusted and stopped hanging out with the friend and Bernie. But Bernie's obviously disgusting. So somehow detectives caught word of the possible child abuse and Child Protective Services got involved and so did Detective Bob Regimball to investigate. So May had somehow got to Lee, and even though him and Jackie were divorced, they booked him on a rape charge, I believe, of the daughters, because they had heard specifically that 
Jackie's daughters were being sexually abused. There was rumors of the pedophile ring and rumors of the girls being sexually abused. So CPS, yeah, like, was called, and they called the detective. So they're already, like, On hot. This, and they went to that Benny guy's house and arrested him. Bernie? Bernie. No, not him yet. They went to Lee's house. I don't remember exactly how they got Lee's name, but somehow... Who is Lee again? He was Jackie's first husband. Okay. One of the husband's. He is important, and we'll go back to him, but I think he was also involved in this gross, disgusting ring. I just think him and Jackie divorced at some point, and Jackie got with Bernie, who's, like, the head of it, too, and he's also disgusting. Okay, gotcha. So, at some point, they track down Lee, and they're just like, what do you know about this? He tells them that, yeah, Jackie is with this new guy named Bernie. So, they arrest Jackie... Bernie gets word that Jackie's in jail and that the detectives are looking for him. So, at first, like, he's, like, kind of on the run, but eventually he just hires an attorney and turns himself in. But Lee tries to go on the run at this point, too. So, he's like, I'm out of here. But, um, Bernie says that he does want to tell the detectives something. He said that when the two, when him and Jackie weren't being disgusting balls with their pedophile ring... They worked in delivering cars from Washington to Oregon. They said that one night they were driving and they saw a hitchhiker who was a woman and they stopped to pick her up. They went to an IHOP or like a pancake house or something and Bernie said that Jackie and the woman got to talking and he was like sitting at the bar somewhere else. He said at some point he noticed that Jackie was crying, which was not like her at all, but he was just like, it's a girl talk, I'll just let them talk. He said that Jackie went to the bathroom to collect herself and the hitchhiker came up to Bernie and asked, like, how well do you know that woman? And he was, like, pretty well. And the hitchhiker said that Jackie had just told her that she had killed a baby in Alabama. What? Just told this random hitchhiker this? Yeah, and the hitchhiker went and told Bernie that. What on earth? Yeah. So upon that tale, the investigators, oh, and she says Athens, Alabama. So the investigators pretty much know that they think that she's talking about baby James and that they think that Jackie assumed that he died that night, that they left him out in the cold. So they track down Tammy, who is now with new parents, and she tells the detectives what she saw, and she says that she saw her mom shoot the lady in Alabama. So she was the girl that they had seen. Tammy stated that after she went to the house and she heard the gunshots, they got back in the car like her mom instructed her to do, and that baby James was screaming, and that Tammy started to scream too, and that Lee was driving, he hightailed it out of there, and that Tammy said that when she was crying and she wouldn't stop, Lee turned around and punched her in the face, and she got a bloody nose when she was, I think, eight years old at the time. And this is a grown man hitting Mm -hmm. her. Yeah. And they had the baby. Tammy said that they had the baby in a baby blanket. And when they had realized that the baby actually had a clubbed foot, they threw it into the field because they had planned on selling the baby on the black market for $2,000 and that they wouldn't be able to sell the baby with the clubbed foot. I don't even... I have no comment to even describe how disgusted I am with the story, so just I'm keep sorry. going. It's really no words. <sighs> so it's about to get a little more interesting, too. 
So, Jackie said she had never been to Alabama, ever. However, we should, or shoot, couldn't deny that he had ever been in Limestone County, Alabama, because he had a very interesting tie to the area. Ruby Bates Shoot, who is said to either be Lee's mom or his aunt, either way, she raised Lee, um... She was involved in a little scandal. So, in the 30s, she was on the run with her friend Victoria when they were young. And they were somehow just, like, up and doing their thing. And somehow they accused a group of black men of gang raping them. One of these men was found guilty named Haywood Patterson. And before trial... Ruby actually took it back and said that it had never happened and they made it up. So, the judge, James Edward Horton Jr., actually retracted the verdict, the guilty verdict, in June of 1933 because he believed Victoria's story was incredible and that was ultimately untrue. This decision ended up ending the judge's career and he didn't get um, reelected, but... The crazy thing is that this story actually inspired To Kill a Mockingbird, written by Harper Lee, and that the character Mayella Ewell, the ignorant white woman in the book, is loosely based off of Ruby in her real-life, like, story. This is nuts, and these people are seriously so disgusting. These individuals, I just hate them. Mm Mm-hmm. So... In the 70s, so they, CBS made a TV show about those events, and Ruby went undercover. Her real name, actually, I don't even believe is Ruby, but she went undercover for a long time. She doesn't deserve to, but okay. However, she, she filed a lawsuit in 1970-something, alleging that the CBS show made it seem like her, she had died in real life she never had, and that the TV show made her seem like all these things. However, Ruby died before the suit even made it to court, but the detectives, because of that suit, were obviously aware that the students had a strong connection to Alabama and that they had been there the whole time. It's crazy because all of this drama is just because of him being like, well, I've never been in Alabama. Uh-huh. So they track... Detectives are are able to track Lee down working at a casino in Las Vegas, and they arrest him. Because they are like, oh, you've never been to Alabama, huh? This whole family is evil. Listen to how evil Jackie is. She pled guilty to molesting her two daughters in Washington State so she wouldn't be extradited to Alabama for the murder of Miss Clemens. So she wouldn't be arrested for the murder of uh, Geneva or Cheryl because they were on to both of those. So she just plotted to molesting her own daughters so she wouldn't get Well, she did molest her own daughters. Like, they found that out, you know, with the child pedophile ring. But so she was like, okay, yeah, I'll just actually say I'm guilty to that so I don't get this murder charge. She pled guilty because it was a 10-year sentence in Washington, and she believed that they wouldn't be able to, like, take her to Alabama to do the trial. This is so conniving. Right. 
After a long, long fight, the prosecution from Alabama was able to get her extradited, and she did stand trial in Alabama. Yes. Jackie's attorneys said that they had documents that proved, though, that Jackie was in Washington in 1980. They said that they had a group of Jackie's family members who was ready to say that Jackie had made a phone call to her mother on the day of the murder that she had filed welfare on the day of this is Geneva's murder mm-hmm. that yeah she was in a wealth in the welfare office on that day in Washington and there was no way she could be in Alabama however upon investigating the welfare document that was stamped January 21st of 1980 they said that it was only stamped that day and it was probably mailed in before meaning that Jackie wasn't actually there oh and the receptionist at the office didn't remember Jackie being there nice try Jackie's attorney last name Barkdale don't know what his first name is was super aggressive and attacked everybody in the trial Including investigators, including everybody. I hate him, too. Yeah. Them, I guess. Tracy Clemens was 12 years old at this point when she testified um, about what happened to her when she was 5 years old and when her mother was killed. So, Tracy had said that um, she, like, obviously remembers the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Tammy was also there and ready to testify against her own alleged mother. She actually said that her whole family turned against her. They totally, like, didn't want anything to do with her. Even though they had literally... Detectives had shown her grandparents the pictures that Tammy had taken of her, the disgusting pictures. Her grandparents believed Jackie over Tammy. What? And they... Even her own younger brother... Or older brother, I don't remember their age. But even her own brother believed and took Jackie's side and testified in favor of Jackie in trial, saying that his mother was there with him. Why would she make this up? And even if she did, they have so much other evidence against Jackie. Right? However, when the son, his name is Buddy in the book, when he was originally um, interviewed when he was younger... He had testified that he had called his grandparents that day because his mother wasn't there at home. Oh. He had also told investigators at one point that he had saw his mother rob somebody with a gun. Jackie, Tammy, and Buddy were all polygraphed. Jackie was polygraphed on her, you know, connection with all this stuff. Uh Jackie failed her polygraph. Tammy was polygraphed on everything she witnessed, including the murder. And Buddy was polygraphed on what he said about his mother robbing somebody, and they both passed. Oh. So, in connection with Cheryl's murder, baby clothing was um, found in the hotel room with all the tags ripped out, and Cheryl's wrists had superficial cuts on them that did not bleed, showing that they were done after her heart had stopped um, beating. So, detectives eventually changed the cause of death from suicide to murder. Wow. That's nuts. How did they not realize that the first time? But, okay. Investigators actually say that they believe that Jackie could be linked to at least half a dozen baby abductions. (gasps) Damn. And they were obviously in charge of a kidnapping ring and a pedophile ring. So, they did ask Lee why... Cheryl's Cheryl Jones's daughter Amanda Jones was sent back to her father yeah. once they took her, and 
Lee basically said that I think they freaked out and, like, just... They weren't planning on killing Cheryl at first. They thought that they just would give her drugs and she would, like, pass out and it would erase her memory. That was what Lee said. However, she obviously died. But that's what Lee is saying, so take it with a grain of salt. So, just to clarify, Lee was the ex-husband. He helped Jackie commit the murders of Cheryl and Geneva and obviously helped with the kidnappings of the baby in the hospital ward. And then once all that happened, Jackie and Lee divorced and then Jackie later on got with Bernie and continued the disgusting pedophile ring, which led to her getting caught. Just to reiterate, because I know the story is crazy. She is pure evil, and the men she is attracting are human pieces of garbage. Right. So, the jury deliberated on this case for four hours, and it was a late Friday night. Um, Jackie reportedly was overheard saying that she couldn't stand this, and waiting was worse than being in jail. Oh, I can say so much. Right. 11 p.m., um, I think it had taken in total six and a half hours, and they found Jackie guilty of murder and kidnapping in the second degree. Ha, huh, take that. I'm almost positive, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but I'm almost positive it is of um, both murders of Geneva and Cheryl. And also, I do want to note that at one point, Tammy did, so obviously Tammy testified against Jackie, I'm pretty sure that that night that Tammy testified against Jackie, she went and visited Jackie in prison, and Jackie hugged her and said, I forgive you. What? Literal garbage. I love for for Jackie to play the victim when she's the one who literally molested her own daughter. Basically pimped out her daughter. Right? So Tammy had a tough life. She obviously went into foster homes that were also abusive. And she had such bad sexual abuse that the doctor said that she probably couldn't have kids. However, Tammy did end up having a child who she said was her angel. But the child tragically died of a serious heart condition when she was in her teens. However, at the time of this book, I'm pretty sure this Anne Rule book was written in 2014... Tammy said that she is married and happy and that she considered suicide many times in her life, but she is happy now and she's surprised that she's still alive. Why do things like that happen? Like she had, she finally could have a daughter and then her child is, passes away early. I don't know. Tracy's dad got remarried twice, but it didn't work out. He said he's still grieving over what happened. Um, He said he moved out of the house because he couldn't stand living in the house where Geneva had gotten killed out in the driveway, obviously. I'm sure. Um, He also said that he was hospitalized for a couple of months because he had a mental breakdown. And he just, he sold both of his cars because they reminded him too much of Geneva. Um, but he, I think he is doing a little bit better now. I think he obviously kept on going for his daughter, Tracy. Mm-hmm. Jackie did have a parole hearing in 2017. Obviously, she didn't get out. 
Amanda, the daughter of Cheryl, she was there to, she, I'm pretty sure it's Amanda, has a Tumblr page and, like, a couple pages devoted to keeping uh, Jackie locked up, and she had a petition in 2017 for people to sign to keep Jackie locked up. Yeah, because Amanda was also taken and returned, right? Yeah, let me just recap. So, baby James, Geneva's daughter, and... Uh, Tracy's brother was taken first and he was found later that night in the freezing cold. He was obviously not kept because he had a club foot was what they said. And then Amanda was just a baby when her mother Cheryl was killed in the alleged suicide and then she was sent back to her father at the Navy base later on that night. And then there was also the 15-year-old whose baby was taken and then returned later that night. Yeah, and I actually, I'm not 100% sure why that baby was returned. And I think that the reason that uh, Amanda was returned, I do think that they kind of just panicked at that Uh point. I think they just didn't really know what to do. But I'm not sure why they returned the third baby. And like I said, they totally believe that there could be like half a dozen babies that were taken Oh, my God. I totally forgot to mention this. I um, would have been mad if I forgot. Tammy said when she first got interviewed when she was eight years old, when she was first interviewed, she remembered that her... She told investigators that her mother had actually killed another woman and stolen her baby. But she remembers... Like, pillars. Like, pillars of a big house. And she remembers a really eerie feeling in her, yeah, her mother killing a woman and stealing her baby. But she could not remember anything else. And to this day, she actually doesn't remember that part. But detectives are very suspicious that that did happen. And that Jackie did kill another woman with Tammy, like, there, like she had done the first time, using Tammy, obviously, to get the women to trust her and stolen another baby. How did they not put her through a hypnosis yet? As horrible as that is, and I take don't know, her but back. they gave her a lie detector test and she passed. <gasps> so, wow, that is mm-hmm. seriously nuts. And so, I hate to ask this, but I need to clarify. Yeah, the intention of taking these children was to put them into this pedophile ring. No, let me make this very clear. The intention of stealing the babies was they were selling them on the black market for $2,000. I do not think... I'm not sure if the babies were going to pedophiles. I don't believe they were. I think they were just selling the babies to people who, like, needed kids and wanted kids and probably, I don't know what they were thinking, but... Who was buying... they were selling them on the black market. And I couldn't exactly find where... Jackie got involved with this scheme, but it is not surprising at all when they have a pedophile ring already. So it's really not surprising that they would, they obviously want to just make quick money. It's not surprising that they would get involved with baby stealing and selling them on the black market. Gotcha. So she first had this disgusting pedophile ring that she started after doing horrible things to her daughters. And then after she kind of developed this idea I believe so, but I also believe that the pedophile ring and, like, the murders happened at the same time. Maybe it's best to not even know. I mean, no, but we do need to know because we need to find anybody else that could potentially be associated with this. 
Yeah, and as bad as it is, there were other children involved in the pedophile ring who were made to do horrible things. So, I don't know. It wasn't much said about those other kids, and it's not like I really wanted to know. It is crazy, though, that Detective Regimball, I think his name was, thought that he was just as gross as it was doing a little CPS work going to save this child, and it turned up being this crazy double murder pedophile kidnapping ring. You know what? I give the detectives a lot of props for piecing all of this together. That was so much. They did a good job. So much stuff, right? In the Anne Rule book, like, even reading the book, I was like, what is going on? I had to read it a couple times, and... Uh, Anne Rule did say that I believe it was Tracy, either Tracy Clemens or Amanda Jones, um, one of the daughters of the mothers who were sadly slain, got contacted Anne Rule and told her, like, I have the story to tell you about my mother getting killed, and Tracy, or, um, Anne Rule literally thought that this person was crazy and almost didn't call them back because she said the story was too unbelievable. Yeah. But it is true. And, and there the- are, it obviously is true, I found um, news articles from the 1980s in Alabama when it happened, I found the appeals case from Jackie Shute appealing her, she appealed saying that her daughter Tammy's testimony shouldn't be allowed for some reason. I didn't even read it because I didn't care because they didn't care about her appeal. Yeah, she went up for parole in 2017. It got denied. I and doubt she'll get out. And I'm sorry if you said this already. Were her accomplices, her husband and the ex-husband, they were convicted also? Oh my gosh, I keep... Guys, I'm sorry I keep forgetting. I'm trying to make this story, this tale quick, but there is no way it can be quick. A thing much. So they actually already were kind of investigating Bernie too, and the connection of a, I think, a few murders. One that took place at a topless bar where he killed, I think, a couple people, and there was all sorts of stuff in the Anne Rule book about that murder. But I couldn't even take notes on that because I was like. I think people will be like, this too much if I went and told about that. So, I am almost positive they booked Bernie on that. I know Lee pled guilty and did not talk or um, testify against Jackie. And Jackie did not testify or take the stand in her trial. And she was uh, pretty upset when she got found guilty. So, Lee is the one whose mom is the inspiration for To Kill a Mockingbird. They think his mom or his niece. No one's, like, 100% sure because she died in... an aunt? Or, um, yeah, I'm sorry. His mom or his aunt. But she raised Lee. But she died in, like, 1978. This is literally too much. My head is And she is straight up evil. Oh, my gosh. And one more thing. Also, Jackie's friend... I didn't want to say this at the beginning when I was talking about Jackie's friend, but she did recall that one time her and Jackie were just drinking and chilling. They had met at a bar. That's how their friendship developed. And that Jackie had said to her out of nowhere, would you ever kill somebody? And the friend was like, no, girl. And she was like, I have once. But it was in self-defense. And this was like a long time ago. I don't know if Jackie had kids at that point or what. So it is very possible that Jackie has killed other people. I mean, her son said that he testified to seeing her rob a man at gunpoint. It is, like, scary and unknown thinking of what else she has done and what else 
Lee and Bernie, all these people have done. And the fact, it's very creepy to me, the fact that she's, she's doing these horrible things, these atrocious things, but then at the same time, it's so odd, her telling these things to people that she just met, telling that random hitchhiker that she had killed a baby and telling this girl she met at the bar she'd killed someone in self-defense. It's so weird that, like, on one hand, she has never told investigators or anyone what she's done, but then she's bragging to these random people, like, I wish she could undergo a psych evaluation. I know, right? And another thing was... For a second, I was a little confused because they said there was seven people, I believe, who testified on Jackie's behalf in trial. And some of them were people from Washington who said that they saw Jackie, like, out in a restaurant and out and about and stuff. And Jackie had said that the little Malibu that her, um, that she had parked at Geneva's house and that Geneva's daughter had said that she saw... She had said that it was in it was stuck in the snow, so there was no way that she had even was able to drive to Alabama. But a mechanic they somehow interviewed had actually said he specifically remembered working on Jackie's car, like the day before um, she killed Geneva in Alabama, and said he remembered specifically because he really, really liked the car and actually wanted to buy it. So there was some testimony on Jackie's behalf. But the uh, prosecution was able to kind of wither that down to all the people who testified on Jackie's behalf also admitted that they would do anything to have Jackie home. Like, they were her family members, right. so... Uh, and some people said, oh, it's a, how would she be able to drive from Washington to Alabama and back and commit, like, these heinous crimes in the time that they said? But detectives, like, tested out the theory, and they said that... If her and Lee would have stopped for gas at first and driven the whole way there with no stops, they definitely could have made it. So, no doubt in my mind that she did it. And she deserves to be in prison for the rest of her life. I feel so upset about this. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was so much. Like, so... The thing, too, that's really disgusting is the fact that she affected so many people's lives is heinous. And also the fact that she had accomplices, multiple accomplices at different points in life. It makes me, like, lose faith in humanity because of the actions of her and her husbands. Right. But they were able to obviously put an end to their disgusting actions and bring justice for Geneva and Cheryl. I really hope Tammy and Tracy can get the help they deserve, and I hope that... And from... Amanda, even though she's a baby, she should have grew up knowing this horrible... And and the mother whose baby was stolen in return Yeah, I'm hospital. sure she's shook, forever shook. But I hope that with telling these horrible stories that someone who potentially feels, you know, maybe there was someone who potentially out there was taken and returned or whose mother was murdered and they don't know and they could remember that, so. Yeah. But that makes me want to bash my head off our new microphone. Yeah, I'm sorry. It was a really rough one, but it was just so crazy. I had to tell it to you all. Let us know if you guys have heard this story before or if this is a new one to you. I've never heard this, so. Yeah, let us know your thoughts. We want to know what you think. 
Thanks for sticking with us through that atrocity. Yes, thanks for sticking with us through the ugly story. Ugh. We appreciate you guys, and we know that you guys are great people, and you guys listening to our podcast restores my faith in humans. Yes, thank you guys, and we love you, and we will see you all next time for another episode. We will try to not pick a dark theme next time. Yeah. (laughs) We'll do something a little lighter. Creepy, but not as creepy. Yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.